Good evening and welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study. We are in Colossians chapter 1. We will continue our studies at verse 19 in Colossians chapter 1. At the center of our faith as Christians, there is the truth about who Jesus Christ is and what he did for our salvation. And that truth that we hold to firmly, some people deny or minimize. And that was the problem in the vicinity of Colossae. And the problem remains today of people who do not fully appreciate the superiority, the deity, and perfection of Jesus Christ. So this is good for us to be able to respond to people who may not have good knowledge of who Jesus is and what he did. We are able to open the Bible and learn what the truth is about him. And I hope we are deeply motivated to tell others that truth. Colossians 1 verse 19. We're going to move slowly and carefully through these verses in Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin with prayer. Holy Father, we approach Thee with love and reverence, expressing to Thee our gratitude for every good and perfect gift we have in Christ. May we desire to obey Him daily and be better informed and motivated by this study this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, I want to start at verse 19. I had something to say about verse 19 the other day on Sunday in our class, but I want to start there for the sake of continuity and read down through 23. Colossians 1, 19-23. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well, as I said to you a moment ago, I covered verse 19 in our class Sunday, but there's something else I want to say here. I want us to look at that phrase in verse 19, God was pleased. Or in the translation that you're holding, it may say, pleased the Father. Whether we are talking about the person of Christ, who he is, or the work of Christ, what he did, or the teaching of Christ, or the church of Christ, Whatever part of the truth about Christ that you get hold of, all of that that is revealed to us in the New Testament pleased the Father. I think there's a point to be made about that. 
This goes to the purity of his sacrifice before God, the innocence of his example before God, and the integrity of everything Jesus taught personally and through the apostles. God was pleased with all that. Everything about Jesus Christ and what he did, everything that is conveyed to us in the New Testament, pleased the Father. All of his plan came to pass as God had determined, and it says God was pleased. Now, what do we make of that? Christ was not a rogue religious leader. We are entering a season of the year where many of the TV networks are going to run documentaries about Jesus Christ. I think the National Geographic History Channel will certainly be there. And some of the other major TV networks, when you get into March, they're going to be running documentaries about Jesus Christ. And in many of those documentaries, there is not a good solid connection between what Jesus did and what God wanted. In some of those documentaries, there's heavy speculation that Jesus just took this work upon himself. That he just decided early in life that this is what he would do. They present it sometimes unconnected to the divine plan of redemption. So this little phrase is important to us here. It affirms God's connection to everything about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the conveyance of that message that we have in this book. It was God's plan. In Ephesians 1, Paul argues it was God's plan before the foundation of the world. So this wasn't something that was put together quickly by one man. And then after him, some of his followers got together and decided, well, let's do this, or let's teach this, or let's form this organization. That's what the documentaries often say, but that's not the case. This was God's plan from the foundation of the world. And connected to this context, God's plan that all the fullness of deity would dwell in Jesus Christ. That through him, sinners could be reconciled to God. We'll talk about that in a moment. And all of this that Paul says about God's plan, the scheme of redemption, was not just put together on the spot or in the first century. It was God's plan. It pleased the Father. God was pleased about all this concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ and that which is offered to the sinner today. I wanted to make that point. Questions or comments about that point? In verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This extends what we were just talking about in verse 20. And I know I had something to say about verse 20 the other day. But I want to plug that in to the point we were just making about all of this being God's plan. God's plan was to reconcile sinners to himself 
through Jesus Christ and the response of people to him would bring them out of sin. That's the point that this makes. Making peace by the blood of his cross. We're going to talk in a moment about alienation. Now when the plan is put to place and offered to bring you out of alienation, what it brings to you is peace. And that was done by the blood of his cross and all of that pleased the Father. Now, here's what I want to do next. I want to read 19 to 22 for the sake of continuity. And then I'm going to talk to you about 21 and 22. All right? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's something I just love to do. And it helps me a lot in Bible study. I want you to look with me in verse 21 and 22 and locate two words. You may have already been listening to my emphasis when I read the passage. But look for two words in verse 21 and 22. And the two words become the framework of this context. And the two words are once and now. And that sets the framework, the structure for the verses here. And it takes us right back into that matter of reconciliation. The reconciliation of offenders. People who were alienated from God by sin... Now, Paul is writing to Christians in Colossae, now you have a different state of existence. You were in this state, you are now in this state. Remember, Paul is writing this to Christians in Colossae. So, here's the essence of it. Now, for Christians, it is different. Now, for Christians, it is different. Now you are in Christ, not in sin. Now you are reconciled to God through Christ, not alienated. And now you are no longer living in enmity and wicked works. Because when you responded to the gospel, you were reconciled to God through the blood of his cross. So in Christ... We are no longer opposed to God, no longer separated from Him by our sin. We are now in position to live pure, obedient, holy lives. And this is true, this is possible because of the body of His flesh. He died for us. Now remember, all of this that we're looking at from 19 down pleased the Father. The apostles didn't come up with it. Jesus wasn't a rogue religious leader. It was all according to divine plan that this came to pass. In Christ, no longer alienated from God by sin. Now you've been reconciled. 
Verse 22 needs to be seen in terms also of purpose once you are reconciled. That's so important. Purpose in life. Now that you've been taken out of sin and you're reconciled to God through the blood of the cross, I often talk to you about what happens after baptism, what should happen after baptism. That goes to purpose. And I want you to look at this. The purpose of his atoning death was that we who have obeyed the gospel might be presented to God holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Reconciliation by Christ's death is not just to be forgiven of your past sin, not just to get you out, but to keep you out. And if you're kept out of sin, the purpose of your life is elevated to this, to this level, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Or it may say in your translation, irreproachable in his sight. I want you to think for a moment about the futility of being forgiven of your sin, being cleansed, taken out of sin, no longer alienated from God. Now you're in a relationship with God. And then instead of fulfilling the purpose identified by Paul in Colossians 1.22, you go back into sin. In 2 Peter 2, you're going to remember this as soon as I read it. 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome... The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. I hope you've had your supper already. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, there's a word in there I tried to stress. After. After they've escaped from the defilements of the world. After they became acquainted with the Lord and responded to them. And they are again entangled in that state of sin. It should strike us as utterly futile to get out of a bad way of life and then go back to it after baptism to jump right back in to sin it should strike us as utterly futile see the divine purpose is not only to get us out of sin but to take us to this level holy blameless and above reproach before him so that we come to God in that fashion so listen carefully again, 21 and 22, and then I'll go into some of this a little further. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you 
Paul is writing to Christians, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now let me take up each phrase just for a moment. Holy. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I believe it was in this class, may have been a Bible, it may have been a sermon. No, it was in this class. I talked to you about a whole family of words. Sanctify, sanctification. You remember we talked about the English word sanctuary. And we talked about that family of words as being set apart. Well, the word holy is in that family of words. The word holy is in that family of words. And again, it means set apart. Um, Hebrews 7.26 says that Christ is holy. Christ is holy in the absolute perfect sense, having never made a choice to sin. It is through redemption that after we're forgiven, we can be set apart from sin as we continue in the faith. I'll get to that part in a minute. Blameless obviously doesn't mean you've never done anything wrong since you were born. Because you were reconciled to God in your response to the gospel. Blameless means there's no outstanding charge against you or evidence of sin. Again, we can be blameless through being redeemed and forgiven. Blameless is one of those words identifying our purpose after baptism. And then the third phrase, third phrase, irreproachable or without reproach. And that has to do with our standing with God. We're not living as to bring reproach on Him. We become irreproachable by obeying the gospel and then continuing in the faith. And I'm going to get to that part in just a minute. So here we are. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to, that, that's suggestive of purpose, you see, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Anything you'd like to add to what we've studied so far, we're going to take up another verse. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast, uh, uh, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's a lot in verse 23. And we've just got about 10 minutes to cover it. I think we will. Obeying the gospel, baptized into Christ, you're reconciled to God, coming out of that alienated state, now reconciled to God, higher purpose. You were separated from him by your sin before you obeyed the gospel, but because of the price that Jesus paid when you obeyed the gospel reconciled to God. Here's a big question that needs to be a concern of every baptized person. What now? 
what's next. And here it is in a phrase. Continue in the faith. That's the phrase. If you don't continue what you started, you wind, back, uh, you wind up back where you were before you were baptized. Why get out of sin if you're going to go back into sin? Remember the dog and the pig. So this passage teaches that there is a way for the sinner to be reconciled to God because of the cross. There is divine purpose for people who've been reconciled, expressed in those phrases, holy, blameless, and irreproachable. Then to live according to that purpose after baptism, here's the phrase you need to latch on to. You have to continue in the faith. And if you continue in the faith, here's what the result will be in your life. You'll be grounded. And you'll be steadfast. Grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, there are some parts of this I want to go through. Stable and steadfast. I used the term a moment ago, grounded. I think the King James Version says grounded and settled. Do you know there are people who make the choice to obey the gospel? But they never settle down to being grounded afterwards. They do not become grounded and settled. There is no growth. And what happens? They drift back into the state that they were in when they were first convicted of their sin. The dog and the pig. Look also at that phrase, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, I think this is taking us directly to the problem that existed in Colossae that Paul is addressing. There were false teachers in Colossae. And false teaching, sometimes, if we let it enter into our hearts, can cause instability before we completely depart from the faith. It can cause instability. And we can shift from the hope of the gospel we heard. So this phrase may be very suggestive of being deceived or led astray by false teaching. The hope of the gospel is solid and promising and certain and beautiful as communicated in the New Testament. False teachers can deceive people and destroy their hope. That can be one of the steps toward ultimate apostasy, just rejecting the gospel altogether, to first have a shifting of your hope. This identifies that. Then it will be good for us to observe what he said next. The gospel, which had been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The initial charge to the apostles of Christ was to spread the gospel to the known inhabited world of that age and the Holy Spirit would then cause it to be written through those men. That was the initial charge to the apostles of Christ that they spread the gospel to the known inhabited world of that age and as the gospel spread the Holy Spirit would cause it to be put in written form. That's 
what we're studying tonight, the written form of it. So Paul is affirming here that this charge to take the gospel to the world has happened. He speaks of it that way. So listen again, 19 to 23, then we'll do some takeaways. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That little word, if, many times in the New Testament, that word is introductory to a condition. So that's the sense of the word here, don't you think? He says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if, and here comes the condition, indeed you continue in the faith. And as you continue in the faith, you can be stable and steadfast and not shift from the hope of the gospel that's been proclaimed. That's Colossians 1, 19 through 23. Questions or comments before our takeaways? Yes, ma'am. Actually, those concepts are virtually synonymous. Grounded in the faith, continuing in the faith, and growth is the outcome of that. So those words being grounded and steadfast, and you connect that to growth, they're, they're just inseparable. And that's what the new Christian needs to focus on. So many times, as I suggested earlier, People come out of the baptistry and you can almost see they're relaxed. Well, got that done. No, you're not done. You just started. That's what you did. You just started the journey. You're not finished with the journey at all. If, indeed, you continue in the faith. All right. Takeaways. I want to express my first takeaway with the situation. And this is going to be something we'll talk even more about when we get into chapter 2. If someone approaches you, and it may be in person or maybe online or social media or something you've read or some video that you've watched, if, if, if someone approaches you and their claim is that they have found something you need to make your spiritual life complete, stop them right there. Stop them right there. This passage and all of Colossians really can be your response. God has fully supplied 
what I need through Jesus Christ. So if somebody comes to me and says, well, Jesus is good. And I'm sure glad you're connected with Jesus. But I've got something even more that you need to supplement what you already have in Christ. Stop them right there. We are complete in Him. God has fully supplied what I need through Jesus Christ to come out of sin and to be holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. God has provided all I need in Christ. If I'm living my life devoted to Him, there's nothing else I need. I'm good because of Christ and the access that He gives to me to the Father as I continue in the faith. Don't let anybody tempt you or try to boldly assert to you that you need anything else. I was teaching Colossians here back in 2002. I looked it up. And there was a man who had for years been an officer very high up in the Masonic Lodge. And he had long argued that his spiritual life and his fellowship with God was built on the principles of the Masonic system, Masonry, the religion. And it wasn't that he said Christ is no good or the New Testament is insufficient, but there was that thread of implication that he had to have this in order to be right with God. And we had long conversations and debates about this, and they seemed to go nowhere. Then in 2002, I taught Colossians in a Bible class, and I didn't bring up any of these supplements. I didn't bring up masonry or any of that. I just taught the text as I'm doing here. And he came to me one day, and he said, You know what I've learned in Colossians? And I said, What? He said, Christ is all I need. And it was like a light came on for him and for me. And I decided then in the future when I encounter people who believe that there's some supplement, some organization they need that will supplement what they have in Christ, I'm going to go through Colossians with them. And he gave up his association with the Masons. That, that's what I'm talking about. If somebody approaches you and they want to try to convince you that in order to have good standing with God, not only do you need this, but you need something else that I've got all packaged up for you. You've got to stop them right there. You don't need anything else but Jesus Christ. Any questions? Reconciliation is the work of God. So don't come out of the baptistry saying, look at what I did. Come out of the baptistry saying, look what God did for me in Christ that I responded to. That's the way we need to think of that. 
we respond, our faith in Christ must take us to obedience and repentance and baptism. And then we continue in the faith. But reconciliation needs to be labeled as the work of God. Nothing that I can boast about. Look at what I did. It's what God did through Christ that I responded to by the activity of my faith. We often talk about the whole Bible as God's scheme of redemption. God's plan of salvation. I didn't come up with it. Preachers didn't come up with it. Theological scholars didn't come up with it. It's God's plan. It's His scheme of redemption. God is reaching out to sinful human beings and He's saying, Here's what I've done so you can get out of sin. I want you back. Here's what I did on the cross so that you can get out of sin. God took the initiative and what we ought to do, we ought to want to respond and receive what God offers and obey Him to be saved. Alright? Let's take that further. Just develop it into another point. This was achieved at the cross. And that's one reason, as I described a moment ago, when somebody comes up with a supplement, something that came up after the cross, and they say you need that in addition to the cross, this is another reason why you're going to say no. So various religions like Catholicism came up way after the cross and the message delivered by the apostles and the organization of local churches and so forth. Masonry came, New Age religion, denominationalism. So don't let anybody tell you that sometime after the cross something else came up that you need. No? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This, I believe it was this last Sunday that this was the text that I had uh, read before the sermon. may have been before that, but I think it was this past Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if... You hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." So I can't let anybody tell me that something else happened in the human race on the globe after the cross that I need in addition to the cross. God's plan of reconciliation was achieved at the cross. And then in my last three or four minutes, I want to go back again and hit that condition. What comes after baptism? Turn to Romans 6 and listen to the opening verses in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, 
you already know what we're to continue in. Paul says in Colossians, we're to continue in the faith, not sin. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's reconciliation achieved by the cross. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There are all of these phrases in the New Testament about what might be called post-baptism living that need to be emphasized when people are baptized and that we need to refresh our memory about what you do after baptism. Continue in the faith. Walk in newness of life. Many other passages could be given. And then in my last couple of minutes, this paragraph we've studied tonight for ease of study or for any of you men who might do some preaching preachers love passages like this that just outline themselves passages like this just outline themselves so what you once were let me go back what you once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. There's point number one. You can develop that. Where you now stand reconciled in his body of flesh by his death and then how you must go on continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So there you have it. You can almost, almost get up without anything else. Don't recommend that, but you could almost get up and just take off right there. Preachers love passages like this. What you once were, what you are now, and how you must go on. And you could add to that and not go back. To where you came from, like the pig. And uh, what was the other? The dog. Almost forgot the other animal. Pig and the dog. You don't want to go there. All right, that's our study in Colossians 1 19 to 23. We'll keep going with 24 to 29 on Sunday. And one week from tonight, I'll be in Dallas doing the Young Preachers Workshop, and Darrell will be here one week from tonight. Thank you very much.